Book Reviews Podcast, a discussion on bad reviews of books loathed with the authors who wrote them. I'm your host, Alexis DeWeese. This is not a chance for writers to exert revenge against cruel reviewers, but instead a place to discuss how we talk about books we don't enjoy, dish about the books we actually love, laugh a little about the oddities of the internet, and find a grain of truth in some rough critique. Welcome to the Bad Book Reviews podcast. I'm Alexis DeWeese, and this week, Jennifer Grant is joining us. Jennifer is a memoirist, columnist, and now a children's author. Her work can be found in the Chicago Tribune, Sojourners, Mom Sense, and Christianity Today Women. Her latest book, Maybe God is Like That Too, won the gold medal in the 2017 Moonbeam Spirit Awards for exemplary literary work for children. I'm so glad you're here, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. So we have talked a little bit before um, this recording, and I I just find your insight really intriguing and really needed in this conversation. So I'm excited that we get to share this with the world. Me too. <laughs> so, so you started your career as a journalist, yes? Yes, I started... Um, my writing career really, you know, stemming back to when I was a child, I wrote a lot of stories mm-hmm. and fiction and so on. But professionally, um, I worked as a newspaper columnist for about 12 or 13 years. And, um, and of course, received some criticism for my columns <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Um, and I was primarily writing about parenting and health and um, sort of, I did profiles of, of people as well. But the the work that I did that got the most sort of response from readers, and initially, funnily, it was you know pre uh, comment section on the <laughs> on the internet, yeah. and so I would actually get you know paper mail. You know, people okay. would write the paper, and the paper would forward it to me. And so, um, so yes, I've I've received criticism for many years now. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, now you've you've written multiple um, long form pieces. So memoirs and collections of essays. Yes. Um, how has the feedback from those, from those letters to the paper, to you as a columnist versus public review to you as an author, like what has, is there, is there similarity there in that critique? Um, are there differences? What have you found in your relationship with readers and their opinions? Well, one thing that I, I mean, it's probably stating the obvious, but when someone has to actually get a piece of paper or type something and print it out and find an envelope and put a stamp on it, um, they take more care, I would say, with what they're writing. Mm -hmm. And so they're expressing, you know, differences of conviction or, um, or obviously sometimes just, you know, complimenting a piece that I had written, but I think there's more care taken. And so, you know, the comment section after a blog post or after a column is online, it's very easy for people to create, you know, a, a very quick shot off sort of um, comment mm-hmm. that doesn't have much care or, or really much, uh, it doesn't help the writer. <laughs> or It just is sort of spewing something out. So, I mean, I've noticed, as I'm sure you have, just, you know, in our public discourse, people are less careful and less thoughtful um, even when they're trying to share something of deep conviction, because mm-hmm. it's so easy, you know, so easy just to hit send. Yeah, that's a great point. Because really, 
I feel like in comment sections, it hasn't, it was probably created to create conversation, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes it's that, that place to just kind of spew. That's right. Or anger or, you know, just, just pick, pick at either what's being said or the person who's writing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did always, when I was working as a columnist, I, I tried probably once a year to say to the readers, you know, I consider this a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I really invited and wanted to hear back from readers. Um, Now, probably if I were, if I were doing that same kind of work, I would maybe not solicit (laughs) such comments (laughs) because, because our, you know, our, the public discourse that goes on now is just, I don't know. There's so much anger and there's so much, um, uh, yeah, just not, people don't take care with what they write. Mm -hmm. I was reading Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key and she made this statement and I'm not going to get the exact quote right, but essentially it was saying that putting out angry and thoughtless words out to one's neighbor is an act of violence. And I thought that was like, I mean, it's a striking statement, but I think it's so true. There's something, I think almost like there's, there's a care and a camaraderie when you feel convicted enough to take a piece of paper and write a handwritten letter to someone. Like you were saying, there's more care taken there. Uh, And I think, I think it's just an interesting, I'm going to say interesting. We're going to use the word interesting here. Uh, mm-hmm. It's We've taken such an interesting turn in our public discourse. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much more value in discussing things we don't agree with, with care, like to make it a conversation, <laughs> to ask questions. Um, so I think it's a really, I think it's really interesting that you make that distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's something that I think, you know, both in our personal lives and professionally, and when we're engaging with writers or with, um, material in, in that's kind of kind of in the public sphere. It's so awesome when you hear from someone who is just curious mm-hmm. and they're expressing curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I think when we approach, you know, a piece of art or a piece of writing or another person with real curiosity rather than with the desire to set them straight or to um, shame them, mm-hmm. you know, what ends up happening is real discourse and, and, it's such a positive thing. So I always find with myself, if I start feeling sort of, you know, my hackles are rising up or whatever, <laughs> I think to myself, okay, in what way can I approach this with curiosity? Yeah. And that really does sort of settle me down. And I think, okay, why would this person, what's the story behind, you know, the story that this person is telling? How did they come to this conviction? How did they, you know, what shaped them? How were they constructed? And then that curiosity does um, allow for much better discussion. I love that. I love the thought of being curious. I feel like we're not, we're not curious enough um, in in this day and age. And I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to change tracks because I know we're going to end up back here um, in a second, but I just, I want to talk about, you had <laughs> made reference in our communication before the show um, that you think actual book reviews are a work of art. And I want to talk about that. Yes, um, I do believe that. And, and there are people who go to school to learn how to review, you know, literature or art. And, and the difference between, you know, the very worst Amazon review or, <laughs> or hastily written Goodreads uh, review and something that you find, you know, in a book review in a newspaper section or, that you find in a wonderful literary journal. They are, they're beautifully written and crafted things. They, you know, a reviewer is looking at um, not just the message, you know, that's, that's what we get 
on Amazon and Goodreads and so on, is we get people disagreeing with our message. Mm-hmm. You know, very rarely do they say, you know, this prose is really beautiful or um, this this memoir, you know, is layered because it looks at, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's always, you know, I disagree about this or this person believes this and so therefore it's a terrible book. <laughs> um, whereas a book reviewer is really looking at the art of it and looking and also creating art. I mean, I think a beautifully written review is, um, sorry, I just dropped something. <laughs> um, anyway, the, but a beautifully crafted review, like a beautifully crafted piece of prose or poetry or fiction is, is something that stays with you and is, is a story itself. So I do love reading wonderful reviews. Yeah. Where do you like to read? Like, where do you most often read your professional reviews? Um, reviews of my own work or, or other? No, 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 no. Like just in general, like when you're, when you're taking in a review, are you usually taking that in for the New York times? Is there a literary journal that you love? Um, well, the New York times, I read the book, uh, review every Sunday, we get the, um, paper and that's, that's the section that I consistently read. Um, and again, Mm -hmm. I just love, you know, sometimes not even, I mean, obviously sometimes I read a review and I immediately buy the book or go to the library and get the book. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just, it gets me on track of reading a certain reviewer and I look up that person's work Mm -hmm. um, elsewhere. Um, The Anglewood review of books is a good one as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Image is doing, I mean, they have new uh, editorial staff. Um, Mm -hmm. I've read reviews over the years, I believe in Image that were really strong. But any of these places where the reviewer is really um, is is pursuing the work from many different angles and not just seeing whether or not he or she agrees with the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, you know, they're just so beautifully crafted so many times. So, yeah, those are the primary places, I guess. Yeah, that's great. But instead of looking at those, we are going to look <laughs> at some less than beautifully crafted reviews. But I think we can have a beautifully crafted conversation as a result. Are you ready to go? <laughs> yes. All right. Let's do this. All right. So when I think of what a bad book review is, I am essentially thinking that it's something that it doesn't help another reader decide if a book is a good fit for them. Um, it also doesn't really give feedback to either another reader or or even the writer, it just kind of spews opinion without having it grounded in like this. This is why this book is beneficial, or it's not. It's either this doesn't agree with my worldview or not. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm seeing that that's kind of that's a theme in some of these reviews. So our first one is a two star review, um, and this is for your book, When Did Everybody Else Get So Old? So would you like to describe a little bit of the concept of the book before we dive into the critique of it? Sure, sure. So that book, that's my most recent book for adults. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's a series of essays about moving into midlife. And so um, the title, When Did Everybody Else Get So Old?, is sort of kind of stemmed from actually seeing pictures of a high school reunion that I did not attend. Okay. <laughs> and, and as I was as I was scrolling through these pictures, I was thinking, "Wow, everybody got so old!" And of course, so did I. Um, but uh, so the book has some humor in it. It also um, it also has some heavier topics. I think uh, I tried to create in the book um, sort of an arc. So mm-hmm. it starts with. Uh, you know, 
roughly speaking, it starts with uh, my 40th birthday and it ends as I'm approaching 50. And um, sort of in the middle of the book is, uh, are some chapters that delve into the death of my sister and um, some other sort of traumas that happened in my 40s. And then um, I sort of end on the other side of that, of, of kind of in a place of healing. So, um, so some of the essays are funny and some of them are harder, but I tried to include, um, I sort of tried to touch on what generally a lot of people deal with in their forties, different milestones, kids getting older, moving out. Um, I deal with kind of a spiritual crisis and, and then obviously some losses. So, um, so that's the book. So you're trying to put together a well-rounded piece here, which Absolutely. I love, um, but someone did not feel the same way I did. So, so this one is a two-star review. The title of the review is the same as the title of the book, which I think is a lack of creativity, but you know, <laughs> whatever. So here we go. I'm going to read the review and the tone of voice I think it was written, and then we'll discuss. Great. <laughs> The author brings all her frustrations of her 40s, which are many, into detailed focus, making this reader feel overwhelmed and hoping she'll survive the rest of her life, at least until 50. It is to her credit she includes Ecclesiastes 3.1. There is a time for everything and a season for everything under the heavens. End quote. Um, yeah. I read this review and was kind of like, oh, okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm happy to tell her I did survive to 51 now. Congratulations. Thank you. I hope this makes this reader feel less overwhelmed that you're, you're at this point now. That's right. You made it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a funny review because, um, you know, she felt overwhelmed, but it sounds like you also felt overwhelmed at points in your (laughs) forties. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the subtitle of the book is Indignities, Compromises, and the Unexpected Grace of Midlife. And so in trying to keep to the promise of that subtitle, all the essays touch on one or more of those, um, those points. Indignities, those are, you know, mm-hmm. many <laughs> compromises that we make and so on. So, um, so yes. But you did include Ecclesiastes 3.1. So I think that's why it's two stars instead of just one. (laughs) Actually, um, a funny thing about this book is that Ecclesiastes makes uh, an appearance many times in the book. So I I have many verses from Ecclesiastes sort of scattered in there. So, you know, apparently, though, the one that was very important for me to put in was 3.1. That's the only one that counts. Yes. Actually. Yes. So... You know, maybe maybe she was overwhelmed by the rest of Ecclesiastes. And- <laughs> it can be an overwhelming book. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I just, that one gave me a good chuckle. This next one, I think, I don't know. This is, <laughs> this is interesting because it's not exactly like a bad book review. Like they don't like, they're not giving you necessarily a bad review, although they only gave you two stars. Um, so this one is mm-hmm. for the book Love You More, which that was your first full-length book, correct? Yes, that's right. Yes, that came out in 2011. And it's a memoir. And uh, it tells the story of Mm -hmm. adopting my youngest child. 
Wonderful. And I just really, I have only read excerpts of this one, I'll confess, but I really appreciated the vulnerability that you had on these pages. Um, so I thought they were lovely. Oh, um, and so did someone else, kind of. So we're going to, we're going to get into this one. This is a review entitled Good Book. They gave you two stars. So Love You More is a moving story of a young mother's journey through adoption. Jennifer Grant and her husband, David, feel God tugging at their hearts to adopt a beautiful baby girl from Guatemala, whom they'll call Mia. Jennifer struggles with the anxiety and obstacles that come with the adoption waiting process, but is given precious peace from her father above. Even though the Grants have three small children, Theo, Ian, and Isabel, Mia is welcomed into this family with open arms. As Mia grows older, she understands her story on how she was united with her family, but learns to subsist the fact that she does not know her birth mother or tummy lady. I really enjoyed this book. The story allows the reader to feel the pain and joy of Jennifer's journey. While reading the book, I laughed when she laughed and cried when she cried. Though the book mentions God, Jesus, and the Bible, I disagreed with several of Jennifer's views. She believes that as a, in quotes, person of faith, it is okay to drink alcoholic beverages. She baptizes her children in their infancy when this tradition was formed from pagan religions. Her children are encouraged to believe in Santa Claus and participate in Halloween activities. I don't judge her, but our views and convictions are very different. How will this mother of four learn to juggle the needs of all her children? End quote. <laughs> yeah. Especially like on Christmas or Halloween, you right. know. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. If you're too busy encouraging them to participate and believe in Santa Claus, how will you care for them? I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to assure that reader as well. They're all fine. They're no longer young children. One has graduated from college. Uh, two are in college, and and Mia is now a junior in high school. So they they have um, they've muddled through. I, I was able to meet their needs. <laughs> okay, here's possible. The here's the question: Do they still believe in Santa? You know, I I, I have to admit they they do not. Oh, well, then, great. So there's there's one thing off, and they don't even trick or treat anymore. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, maybe now that that's the case, maybe this gets three stars. Right, right. I hope so. What I thought was interesting is it's apparent that the reader enjoyed the book. Like that that seemed very clear in the first half of this review mm-hmm. to me. Um, and I mean, she felt it important to include a lot of the details um, in her review as well. Like enough that she like she had paid attention and is then regurgitating this on the internet. Right. Um, right. She, yeah, she includes the kids' names and my husband's name and, you know, it's, that's sort of rare. I mean, normally people don't give that sort of level of detail. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they cared enough for that. But, mm-hmm. and she laughed and cried. She yes. laughed when I laughed and cried when I cried. <laughs> it seems like this was a really good reading experience for her. Mm-hmm. Except for one thing, and that appears to be that she does not agree with your belief system. Mm-hmm. And or I at least some elements, some some I would say rather minor elements. I mean, if she's also a person of faith, the the fact that you know, creedally speaking, we probably are on the same page. These are rather minor details. <laughs> but I just I find this interesting because this was this was a theme 
across many of your reviews was that like, oh, it's a good book or it's well written, but there's there's things in her theology that I'm concerned about or there she doesn't she's not the same flavor of this religion that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting that that is why your books were being given low ratings, not the fact that it wasn't an a story that was engaging or that the writing was really compelling. No, it was just that they didn't agree with you. And I think that leads to a bigger discussion of the importance of reading people that you're not necessarily on the same page with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which I think, you know, you and I as readers certainly read um, a broad range of of writers. Um, But it is interesting. And I think, you know, I wonder if this has to do with the fact that you know, some of the publishers who've um, published my work, Thomas Nelson and Worthy mm-hmm. and so on, maybe there is sort of an implied promise to their readers that the writers are generally, I don't know, more, I don't want to use too much blanket statements here, but, you know, maybe more conservative politically or theologically mm-hmm. um, than I am. And so, uh, so yeah, maybe maybe they feel some of these readers feel like there's been a broken promise mm. from the publisher. Yeah. Um, that's just an idea that I have. That's but you're right. I mean, several in several of the <laughs> negative reviews that I've had over the years, it'll say, you know, she's left leaning, you know, or she wrote about Black Lives Matter, or you know, just these things that mm-hmm. personally I, I think completely well they do align with my faith. And and um, but yes, some some readers take take offense with those things. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. And I think this is, this harkens back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. Um, but I think that ultimately when someone, when, when a book is published, like that's the beginning of a conversation, mm-hmm. um, between that writer and the readers of that book. Um, and the reader isn't necessarily able to respond necessarily directly to the writer, um, except maybe through reviews such as this, but that there is still like, there's a conversation being started with a book. And I feel like when I sit down and have a conversation face to face with someone, like I may not agree with everything that they think or believe, but I still like in that conversation, I'm going to give that person like a dignity to say what they're going to say and interact with what they're telling me. And like you were saying, like there's a curiosity Mm -hmm. that is required when you're having a conversation with someone. Whereas if we were looking at books as a conversation, I feel like we're, we're missing that same dignity that's mm-hmm. afforded. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's also sort of, um, I showed you a review, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, um, by a person on, on Amazon who, um, I actually have it in front of me. Um, and it, she gave, yes, I think this was for, when did everybody else get so old? I'm not sure which review. I mean, oh no, it was for Monumental, which was my second book. Okay. And she says, this book wasn't funny, just dumb. And that was the, t- <laughs> that was the title. And then the entirety of the review, all in caps, was this book was so bad and boring. And the reason why I bring this up is that when I saw that review, I mean, it really made me laugh. Um, but, you know, when, you, when someone has on Amazon, um, you know, there are a verified purchaser of the book and they have all these Mm -hmm. different reviews. And if you click on their name, then you can see everything else they reviewed. (laughs) Yes, And and that made me laugh so hard because, you know, here I had written this book and, and, you know, she found it bad and boring, but then I clicked on her other reviews and they like this one, they were all in caps, but it was for all kinds of different products, you know, a t-shirt with a 
funny, you know, icon on it or like socks <laughs> or, you know, uh, laundry detergent and so on. And in every case, this person just flopped, you know, put in five words, you know, this tide detergent really works, or, you know, these socks were too small, or this sweater was itchy. And, and it's so interesting, because instead of, you know, interacting with a book in a different way than another sort of item, Mm -hmm. a reviewer like this is just seeing them all as things to be consumed. So I consumed this, and it was bad and boring, that detergent works, that Mm sweater is itchy. And for those of us who are really committed to lives as readers and writers, Mm -hmm. um, we don't see those products as the same thing. You know, we see, as you were saying, we see a book as a conversation or as a way to engage with the world, you know, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so we don't just lump them together with, you know, other, you know, household products. Yes. So, yeah. I think that's such a, like, that's such a vital viewpoint because how often do we come to the table with anything as consumers rather than being like, there's a person involved in this thing. There was even someone who made that itchy sweater and they didn't intend for it to be itchy, you know, that's probably not their purpose, but no, I think that's so interesting. The whole consumption versus, I don't know, do we want to call it enjoyment? I don't know. Yeah, enjoyment or engaging with ideas or or hearing another person's story, you know, and I think that speaks to what you were saying about we do need to read and engage with people who have different views than we have and learn their stories and, you know, try to build bridges between, you know, where we are and where mm-hmm. they are. So, um, so yeah, some of the, these reviews that are just taking kind of, you know, looking at a book like a material product that they can either like or not like, and it's like, did I like that, you know, can of soda or, or that whatever? Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, you, you've come, you've come a long way from getting those initial like letters to the paper, um, mm-hmm. versus now, like how has your perspective on public criticism changed? How has that relationship evolved for you? Uh, well, I certainly, in the years where I was writing, um, my newspaper column. Initially, it was for uh, a paper that was in my own hometown. Mm -hmm. So I actually would sometimes be just, you know, at the library or in the grocery store, and someone would come and talk to me about what I had written, um, and occasionally uh, criticize what I had written. Mm -hmm. So I needed to, in a, I needed to very quickly develop a thick skin, (laughs) especially (laughs) for people coming up to me kind of out of the blue and saying, you know, because my picture was um, in the paper every week with that column. Um, So I think that I, I think I learned that I needed to be okay with people disagreeing with me. Mm -hmm. I needed to, um, to hold firm to my convictions and, uh, and to be humble enough to say, okay, someone else has a different one. Um, occasionally I would say something in trying to be funny, maybe in the column mm-hmm. and it would hurt someone's feelings. Um, I wrote a column years and years ago about, um, those parties that people have when they invite you over, but really they're selling something, Oh yes. <laughs> so, yes. you know, body, body lotion, or there was a period of time where it was like toys or mm-hmm. people have clothes and all those things. And you think you're being invited over just to chat with friends, but really it's a sales pitch. And uh, I wrote a column about um, how I thought that contributed to the loneliness that Mm -hmm. some people were experiencing. And 
and someone that I knew, you know, sort of an acquaintance, but someone who was making her living with one of those sort of, um, uh, well, they, I forget what they call it, pyramid marketing or whatever. I think they call it multi-level marketing. I call it a pyramid scheme, but who each their own. Right, exactly. Well, she was very hurt by that column because it was her livelihood. And so, you know, I had to, I had, I mean, I apologized to Mm -hmm. her because I Mm -hmm. certainly wasn't thinking about her when I was writing it. And actually, I don't think that I even knew she was doing that. But, um, you know, there's just inevitably when you write a memoir or you write columns or you write about your personal experience, it it's messy. I mean, (laughs) that's something that I've spoken about a lot at writing conferences is that when you Mm -hmm. do this kind of work, you, it won't ever be perfect. There will be times where you inadvertently hurt someone's feelings or have a misunderstanding with someone. So I think for me, the way I've changed in terms of handling uncomfortable situations or criticism is just to know that it's inevitable that these things will happen and to approach it with some humility as well. And to know, I won't always say the right thing. I won't always, um, my books, you know, uh, it takes writing a book to learn how to write a book. So, oh, so when true. I look back at, yeah. And when I look back at, um, love you more, I have, you know, a secret fantasy that someday I will, you know, release a new edition of it. Actually, oh. there's a lot actually that's, that would be cool to tell, mm-hmm. including the fact that we now have, um, close relationships with my daughter's birth family in Guatemala. Um, so I think that would be a cool sort of, you know, thing to add to that book. Mm-hmm. But I know that I would work with the structure of it in a little bit of a different way. Um, You know, as writers, we always can look back and go, oh, you know what? I really should have, you know, explored that more or reordered this part of the book or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I I guess the, the main thing is I've developed a thick skin about criticism, but also a humility to know that yeah, people probably will have a point. I mean, not the, this book was so bad and boring person, because that's not really helpful. But um, there are other critical reviews that I've read. And I've thought, okay, I need to remember that next time I'm working on a book. I need to remember that some readers don't like whatever. And, um, and the thing that probably has been the most helpful thing from some of my negative reviews, especially of my earlier work is, um, is structural uh, comments. There's, um, for love you more. There were a few, uh, Goodreads or Amazon reviewers who said, you know, this, this writer goes off on tangents and this writer, um, kind of weaves the story, but it's, it's messy or whatever. And, um, and I do go off on tangents. I love that. I mean, (laughs) I love that in my reading too. Um, but structurally I've, I've, I've learned over the years how to better order a book or better structure a book. Mm-hmm. So, um, so although some of the little snarky, you know, she goes off on, on little, you know, detours, I still always will do that because I, that's the way my mind works. And I also, I also love books that do that. But at the same time, I'm mindful of that and mm-hmm. mindful that structure is something that I need to pay particular attention to. Mm-hmm. No, that's really insightful. And I think it's interesting too that like there there needs to be like that balance struck as well. You know, like no book is written for every person. Um, how, so how do you hold that intention is trying to be mindful of your reader while also knowing that you're not going to please everyone? Yeah. Well, I never write a book for everyone. Um, I think it is helpful uh, to to have sort of 
an ideal reader in mind. Mm -hmm. So in when did everybody else get so old? I'm, I was thinking about people in their mid forties or who mm -hmm. were around 50. And, you know, I happen to know, of course, many, many people in that demographic. And so I was really trying to, um, you know, if I was writing it for someone who's 30 and, and so the, the, narrative voice, if I would say like, well, in 20 years, you'll, you'll experience this. Um, then, you know, by trying to write for everyone, I probably would, would be writing for no one. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think I do need to, uh, and all writers do this, just have, have an ideal audience in mind who, whose felt needs will this address? And that's kind of one of the initial questions that mm -hmm. I ask when I'm starting a project, what is the felt need of the reader? And so, of course, for that one, it was that midlife and um, getting older and being in this particular phase of life is tricky and can be scary, can be um, unsettling. And so that's kind of the reader I was looking for. I love that perspective. Um, yeah, I feel like I've learned so much from you in this conversation. I'm just so grateful that you you took the time to sit down and just unpack a lot of this with us. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun to talk. Thanks for joining me and Jennifer Grant on the Bad Book Reviews podcast. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this discussion. Be sure to check out When Did Everybody Get So Old? And Maybe God Is Like That Too. We'll link to those in show notes. You can connect to Jennifer at jennifergrant.com and follow her on Instagram at jennifergrantwriter and on Twitter at jennifercgrant. You can follow me on Instagram at aldeweese and on Twitter at Lex from Bohemia. If you want to connect with us on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at bbrpodcast at apricotservices.com. You can follow the show at Apricot Services on both Instagram and Twitter. The Bad Book Reviews podcast is a production of Apricot Services. This episode has been made possible by sound engineer Peyton Burst, digital producer Peter Ford, and executive producer Alexis DeWeese. 